have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians. We'll be picking up in chapter 5. As you recall, the letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul is writing to this group of churches across a region who have had some folks come in and start teaching radically different doctrine than what he taught them when he first came through. Um, to sum it up, it would be um, Jesus is good, but you need something else. Um, and so they would teach that uh, uh, you could not be saved, Jesus' work was not complete, unless you were also circumcised. Um, or um, you had to keep portions of the law. Um, and they may have been cherry-picking, or they may have said outright you had to keep all of it. But that's what Paul is addressing here, the, uh, the fact that exposing the, the magnitude of the consequences and the implications for, for what changes in doctrine they've allowed to, to happen. And so with that last chapter in chapter 4, um, he had gone through the Old Testament looking at how um, there was an extended metaphor between the two sons of Abraham. One son was a son of the flesh. That was the one where Abraham tried to make it his own way. His wife had never had children. He's an old man. Um, God had promised him that he'd have kids, and so their solution was to take her handmaid named Hagar and to have one through her, um, and that was Ishmael. And then God later, when Sarah was 90 years old, would give her the miracle of having a child, carry it, um, successfully deliver it, and then raise, you know, live to see that child grow up. Um, and that was the child of promise, which would be uh, Isaac. And he looked at how that is a metaphor for both children of Abraham naturally, the Jews, and how they lived and operated under the law as children of the flesh versus the children of the spirit, children of promise, which is the entire family of God, um, and how it was natural back then. What happened as the older brother, the child of the flesh persecuted the promised child and that's when he got cast out um, go back and read Genesis for your, for your recap on that but that the son of promise that he was free he was not the son of a slave he was a free um, and that's, that's the imagery that we have for how we live and exist um, you're fine if I can't be louder than her I'll have to, I'll have to do better All right. is that Christ has made us free all right? The law's purpose was to teach that you have no self-righteousness. All right? The purpose was to expose the fact that you are all sinners. Every single person under the law. Right? The only way that you could live under the law and have life as the end result is if you kept every single one, every single jot and tittle, perfectly. And what was taught, what was exposed, was that you can't. Right? You can't. All right, so all are under sin. The wages of sin is death. All right, and that's that's the purpose of the law was teaching, really, of the need of a savior. Okay, so Christ has come. He's performed his work of redemption. He's paid the price for you, and that price very high. But to you, it was free. All right, you didn't earn it. Okay, and so the whole message in this is don't take 
the truth of what Christ did and muddy it up. Don't try and add other things to it. Okay, and so there's there's a liberty, there is a freedom that Christ has purchased for you. All right. So, chapter five picks up with "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage." All right. The law is there. The imagery there is the bondage. All right. If you think that Christ is good, but I've got to do X, Y, or Z, Ella's been enjoying algebra lately, so if I have to do these other things, then there's no freedom there anymore, right? I'm putting bondage on myself. I'm wrapping chains around my neck of saying that if I don't do this, then I can't be saved. That's a bondage, okay? Here's a, a, an illustration. Uh, you were in jail. You are on death row. You receive a pardon. You are escorted outside of the jail. You're looking at the blue sky and the freedom before you. You've been made free. Now, you turn around, you walk back in, you put your orange jumpsuit on, and you sit down and you start following all the rules inside the jail, hoping to get out for early behavior, for good behavior. Does that make any kind of sense? No. No. But that's the idea. You've been set free. Why are you going to go back in and hope that on your own merits you can earn parole? Okay? That's what's being addressed there. Stand fast in the liberty. Don't take... Um, and the reason they're doing this, the reason they're trying to add this is because these folks who are teaching it, they were Christians, they were followers of Christ, but they didn't like the cost that came with it. Okay? There was a persecution, particularly from Jews, that... They'd hate your guts, right? Saul, before the Lord got a hold of him, was a chief antagonist of Christians. He'd haul you to jail and then give his testimony and say, yeah, I saw them worshiping that Jesus fellow when it came time to kill you, okay? There's a real cost to this. And so they were afraid of it. And so they're like, well, let's just change it a little bit. Well, if you just keep the law too, then really what's the problem with it? And, and then the Jews may not be so angry at you. The cost may not be so high. So there's different motivations for why they're changing it, but they're changing the truth. And so he's telling you, stand fast in the truth of the liberty. You've been set free, not by works of your righteousness, but by the complete work of Jesus Christ. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So don't add to that doctrine things that put the onus back on you to deliver yourself because that is stepping into bondage. Okay? Verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Okay. Let's deal with what this doesn't say first. If you try to read this and say that I have the well, let me ask it this way. Does this mean that our actions can defeat the work of Christ? Right. Some people would try and read that and say, well, if you're circumcised, then Christ will profit you nothing. You don't get anything out of Christ, right? And so his work doesn't apply to you. That's not what it's saying, right? This is talking about the truth of the doctrine that you understand. That if you try to put it upon you to do things to make yourself savable, 
then what was the benefit that you received from Christ? Under the Old Testament, the Jews had to keep the law perfectly, right? Well, that was the standard then, and Christ wasn't there, hadn't been revealed yet. And so if Christ has been revealed, and yet you're under that same thing, what was the purpose of Christ? He didn't get you any farther down the road if it's still on you. So that's the idea of what is what is it profit? Um, you can you can go for this for proof that that's not what it means that you can't defeat the work of Christ by going and looking at John chapter 10, 27 and 30. Um, and that's where Jesus is plainly teaching that uh, his sheep are safe, they're secure. Um, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, including themselves. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So you have the image there of the Father's hand, God's hand, where you are safe. You ever ever try and get a penny out of a toddler's hand? (laughs) It can be a challenge. But if you're bigger than them, eventually you're going to get that penny. Now remember, when you're the little brother and you're trying to get something out of big brother's hands, it could be just about impossible, right? Well, the concept is that you're safe in God's hands, and the only way you get something out of God's hands is you've got to have somebody bigger and more powerful, and does that exist? No. No. Okay. So going back to Galatians chapter 5, just because you get a wrong-headed doctrine doesn't mean you have defeated Christ's work. Your life will bear consequences for that. It will be harder to operate in bondage without the truth because there's, there's ramifications for that. Right? If I believe that it's up to me to do something for me, then whoa, what about, what about my children? I need to make sure that they do something about my neighbors or whatever, that if Christ's work isn't enough, then I am putting a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, and that will weigh me down. That doesn't change what Christ did, but it changed about how I operate, right? And how I, how I experience um, life. And that's what Jesus was talking about back in John chapter 8. And in verse uh, 31... He's speaking to those Jews which believed on him, speaking to his followers. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. All right? Do you want, I don't want us to just be Christians. Right? I don't want us to just be church members. I want us to be followers of Christ. That's what disciples means, a follower of Christ. That means you're looking for him for an example, and then you're following after it. That's not a passive thing. So if you're continuing in Christ's word, then you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth shall make you free. There's a liberty in it. A freedom in the truth. A rest and assurance and a comfort in what Christ has done. All right? And when you get off base on the truth, you're wrapping yourself in chains and hindrances. All right? Back to Galatians 5, verse 3. For I testify again... To every man that is circumcised, that he is debtor to do the whole law. If you think that it's Christ plus one aspect of the law, Paul says, 
Sorry, Bubba. If you're going to add any of the law, you got to have all of it. And is anybody going to be able to keep it all? Okay. No one's been able to. All right. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. All right. Again, this is not talking about overturning Christ's work. All right. This is talking about your understanding of Christ's work, that if you try to add what you have to do to make Christ's work effective, then you're no longer operating in the work of God's free grace. Right? The truth of it. He did it all. If you have a grace plus, you're now into works. You're now into keeping the law. It's that there's, there's no benefit. Right? You've changed it. That's what it means when you've fallen from grace, from the truth of grace. That does not mean you've been plucked out of the Father's hand. Okay? For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So those who are trying to add this under the law and say, well, we're going to establish our own righteousness by our deeds, where, is their, where are they trying to get their righteousness from? From themselves! Right? That's not, real, that's not a real good source. If you're really honest with yourself and the Lord's opened your eyes to who you are, there's, there's, there's nothing naturally in there that's righteous. God gives you this Holy Spirit and He dwells within you. He's righteous and He can lead you in paths of righteousness, but from yourself, you won't find it. But what are we doing? Through the Spirit, which we have the Spirit, we're waiting for the hope of righteousness. Right? We fully believe Jesus is fully righteous, fully righteous. We believe that His righteousness has been put upon us, that we receive the benefit of His righteousness now, but are we fully righteous here in this life yet? No. But we have a hope. Right? That's what we're looking forward to, is when we're with God in glory... We will be fully righteous, right? From our mind, y'all, do you, do you think some awful things? You do. I do too. Do you say some awful things? Do you do some awful things? You do. They're not pleasing to God. Sometimes we're out of spite or envy or just we're at, I haven't eaten enough lately. Just whatever. We have a hope. And this is not, you know, I hope I win the lottery. And the odds of that are very, very low. And it's just kind of like a wish. This is a, a hope of, of a, a understanding of what will happen, an earnest expectation. If I let go of this, it's going to fall, right? And that's the same. I, I could say, I, I hope it falls. Well, it will. It's an earnest expectation. You're fully persuaded of it. It's not just a, a chance out on the road, all right? We wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That faith that He's given us, that gift of God, that we are able to believe that Christ is who He says He is, and that He's done what He said He's done, and that He will continue to do what He said He'll do, which is He has redeemed us, He continues to keep us, and He will bring us to be where He is. And we have a hope of pure righteousness by His work, not by what we do to earn it. All right? For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. The idea is that you're no farther along and closer to heaven whether you're a Jew under the law or whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Gentile trying to keep the law. It, it doesn't have any bearing on Christ's completed work. Okay? It doesn't operate there. But what does operate? But faith which worketh by love. Okay? So whether you're trying to 
operate under the law or not doesn't change anything about Christ's work, but you do have a work to do here. Okay? By faith, but faith, which worketh by love. So he is giving you faith. How is your faith worked out? How is it shown? How is it manifested? How is it revealed? By living it out in love. That's the operation. That's how it's active. Okay? Your faith is shown. Faith by itself is internal. It's invisible. You can't see it, smell it, touch it, taste it. But we know that it exists because we can see the effects of it being lived out. Okay? This is the same uh, expression overused in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. He's remembering this church, remembering your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got that waiting and hope. You've got that labor of love and you've got your work of faith. Your faith that is being manifested out, working, living, operating in labors of love. Does that sound like it's necessarily always easy? Labors of love. That's toils, right? And hope. So what are we doing here? We're not trying to clean ourselves up for a hope of heaven. We rest in our hope of heaven by Jesus' work. And we have faith in Him. And He has given us that faith which will be lived out and should be lived out. And that operates primarily through a channel of love. Okay? Channel of love. But faith which worketh by love. You did run well. He's talking to this Galatian church. You started off on the right foot. Right? You got running cross country and then you ran off into the ditch. Right? Now you're slogging through the mud and the going's much harder and you're not going the right direction. You ran well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? They allowed these teachers to come in and to change what they're doing, and they're, they've hindered them. They've, they've put up roadblocks, and you know, ever seen those cartoons where they change the signs and switch the directions of the road for the race? Right? That's the idea, left and right. Who's hindered you? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, how many bakers we got in the room? Not a whole lot, right? What's leaven? Right? Yeast. Yeast, right? Yeast is the stuff that you put in the ingredients to make bread rise. All right? Want to know something gross? Yeast is a fungus. Okay? It's a fungus. It takes the sugars in the bread and converts them into two things, CO2, carbon dioxide, and (coughs) ethanol. Now, the ethanol gets burned off during the baking process, but those CO2 produces bubbles, air bubbles, right? So you've got... Your original ingredients, and it adds air bubbles. Changes the shape, changes the dynamic, but doesn't add really anything to it but air. Okay. The illustration that's used in Scripture is that Jesus tells um, his disciples, once when they're getting in the ship, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, at that time, they're like, oh, no, we only brought a couple loaves of bread. What are we doing? We're in trouble. Why is he, you know, surely he's on to us because we didn't bring enough provisions. Now, he has to rebuke them. He said, did y'all, did you, did you forget how I just fed the 4,000 and 5,000 with, you know, just a few little bit? I'm not talking about bread, bread. And then they understood he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees, all right? The doctrines of the Pharisees, and another um, portion would be translated 
that they are um, leavens of hypocrisy, Luke 12 and 1. Um, so that first one was in Matthew 16, 6 through 12, to go read it. But the doctrine of hypocrisy, the putting on of appearances, the rolling, the playing a role, all right? Does it take much yeast for bread to rise? No. And that's another illustration through Scripture is that just a little bit of leaven, you've got a big lump of unleavened bread. You put in just a leaven, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast. Eventually, it'll spread to the whole thing. And so the danger here is if you allow a little bit of bad doctrine into your life and into your church, it will spread. It will grow. It will change what you're doing. It doesn't add any value to it. It's just air. It's just vanity. It's worthless. Um, there's other leavens that are used. This illustration is used frequently in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6 uh, through 8, it talks about the leaven of malice and the leaven of wickedness, and then compares it, uh, contrasts it with uh, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Right? Letting those little bits of wickedness and malice into your life will have a dramatic effect as opposed to living and operating in sincerity and truth. And so the danger here is that you, you started off running well, somebody has hindered you, you took just a little bit in, and look what's happened, how it's, how it's grown. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. I'm basically saying, I'm trusting that after you read this letter, you're going to get your stuff straight and you're going to follow again the good path. All right? I'm confident in that. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't even need to know. Whoever it is who's causing this hindrance, who is leading the Lord's little children astray, the Lord's going to take care of it. Right? He's going to get his judgment. And I, brethren, if I yet preach uh, preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? So what, what I read behind this is that when they reached out to him, probably one of the things they were taught is the people who came in and said, yeah, this is the same thing Paul teached. You just didn't understand. Yeah, Paul's teaching this too, that you've got to keep the law. Didn't you, didn't you get that? So he said, no, no, if I, brethren, if I'm preaching the circumcision that you have to keep the law and establish your own righteousness... Why do I keep suffering persecution? He says, if that's the case, then the offense of the cross has ceased. I don't have to be whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and all the things that he endured for the cross. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, now, mind you, 2 Corinthians is not written necessarily at the end of Paul's life. And so there's a laundry list here, the things that he's endured for the truth. This is not complete. Right? This doesn't go all the way until his death. But So starting in verse 24, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 says, Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes save one. There was a cap on how many times you could be whipped by the Jews. And so 39 stripes, that was on five occasions. That's being beaten with 195 strokes. That's a lot of whipping. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Okay, well, we didn't use a whip this time, but on three occasions I was whooped with a stick or sticks. Once was I stoned, and this was not just a little stoning. They stoned him so well they thought he was dead. Like they quit stoning him because he's laying there in a puddle of blood and they thought he's dead and they go back inside. Now he survived that. I bet it hurt like nobody's business, but he was able to get up and leave town. 
Our stone. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. I'm pretty sure this is written before he goes to Rome. So this doesn't inca- include the one where he lands on Malta. So that'd be a fourth. Thrice I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils. All right, so here you've just got... These are the physical things, but here's also the dangers that I was in, which, you know, being in a state of danger, that'll wear you down. The peril of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. Yeah, when it says the Jews, that was his natural people. All right? That's not like going overseas and somewhere and having, you know, if I go was a missionary in China, I'd be not very well received, right? You'd kind of expect them to persecute me. But this is the same thing as if, you know, I'm down here in Tai Tai, and they start whipping me up. And, you know, it's Georgia boys beating me up, right? Right? That's, this is your own people who you've got threats and dangers from. Perils from my own countrymen, peril from the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, watchings often, hunger and thirst and fasting often, and cold and nakedness. This has not been a pleasure cruise. By any respect, right? This is what he's put up with, and he's been willing to do it because it's the truth. He said, you know, if I was teaching this false doctrine, why am I still being persecuted? I wouldn't be. All right? So if you go over to the end of chapter 6, you'll see him talk about the rationale that they have, those false teachers. For as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So you've got these people who want to come out and say, yes, I'm teaching you and you're going to be a follower of me and I get to add you to my head count. I get to show off, look who I've taught now. Look, i got 17 foreskins over here. I'm winning, right? Ugh. But they don't want to have the persecution for the cross of Christ. And so you kind of water it down and here, all right? For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, all right? Those who are natural Jews, they can't do it. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They want to say, look what I've accomplished. But God forbid that I should glory, as Paul, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, where does our glorying lie? Right? We don't, we're not out here saving souls. Our glory is in Jesus Christ, His work, right? His cross of complete redemption. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You're born again. You are made a new creature. Those old walls of division, right? They're broken down between Jew and Gentile, between God and man. Those walls are separated in a new creature, right? And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God, all right? So this is kind of a caveated language of those within the church who are not walking according to this, this, this rule, he's not wishing them peace and mercy. Right? This is the Israel of God. This is not just your natural Jews, but this is the family of God. Us, all of us, as that new creature born again by the Holy Spirit, that's how we're descendants of Abraham, not in a genetic sense, but in the spiritual sense. Right? Verse 17 is what I really wanted. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. Don't bother me and accuse me about teaching the wrong thing. He says, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Right? You imagine what 195 whip strokes looks like on somebody's back, or legs, or stomach, wherever they hit you with. And the bruises and damage from rods and exposure to sea, um, shipwreck, you know, a night in the day, you're out floating. Like this. Paul lived it and wore it 
said, don't accuse me of watering down the truth to avoid persecution. Okay? So back in verse 11. So why do I yet suffer persecution? Then would the offense of the cross be ceased. Right? Rather, he says, I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. said, if I had my choice, those that are troubling you would just be sent away, cut off. Lord, deal with them. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That's true. All right? Nothing about what he said before is going to be undone, but you've got to listen to this other spot. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Okay? You're not operating under the Old Testament uh, scheme. You're not under that law. You're not trying to establish your own righteousness. But that is not a free license to do anything that you feel like doing. Okay? That's where we get the word licentiousness. It's the, the licensing. You feel like you are authorized to do whatever you want. Right? Particularly in those that serve the flesh. And that's what it, that's, as you and I and Christians, that's our dichotomy that we've got to put in our head. Does my actions, does my words, does my thought, does it serve the flesh? Or does it walk in the spirit? All right? It's going to be one or the other. And depending on how clear-headed we are, as we'll be able to see that accurately with discernment. But that's, that's what we've got to be looking for. Am I using the liberty that Christ has purchased for me to say, well, I'm not under the Old Testament law, and so I can do this. It feels good. That's what I want, even if I know it doesn't please the Lord. All right? So that's, that's the danger of that. You are not trying to earn your way to heaven. You're not trying to establish your own righteousness. But as a child of faith, given the Holy Spirit, created a new creature, we are to operate as a new creature and pursue things of the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. All right? And then he's going to spend the rest of this chapter defining some of those things so you can look at those categories because this is not a you know this exactly this situation that you're dealing with right now it won't say the exact words of you know this this particular device and this particular car or whatever you know it won't be that drilled down but you've got these broad categories that you can see okay does this operate over in the flesh or is this the spirit all right so not an occasion for the flesh an opportunity for the flesh, but rather, by love, serve one another. Remember? The hope of righteousness, right? We're waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith, and that faith worketh by love. Right? By love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, that's a quote back to Leviticus 19 and 18. All right? If you are loving your neighbor as yourself, are you going to steal his car? No, thou shalt not steal. Well, if I'm loving him, I won't do that. If I'm loving my neighbor, will I steal his wife? No, I won't do that. If I'm loving my neighbor, will I lie about him? No, or will I bear false witness? Yeah, he did it, right? All those things that are being prohibited under the law, if you're operating by love, guess what? You won't be doing them anyway, okay? That's what it means when it says that the law is fulfilled, all right? How about... Uh, the great command, you should love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, body, and body. Are you going to worship uh, other idols? 
Right? No, because you're loving the Lord. And that's nothing to replace you. Well, if I love something here, even if it's not something I'm bowing down to, but I'm worshiping it, whether it's a job or money or people or fame or power or whatever, if I'm loving the Lord first, right, then I'll be willing to tear down those idols. Right? So all those things are summed up. If, if you're loving, loving the Lord, loving as with everything you got, loving your brothers and sisters as much as Christ loves you, and loving your neighbors, and that includes your worst enemy, even as much as you love yourself. All right? So, all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, and this is talking to churches, and so if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. But if you're snipping and sniping and using your, your interactions with anger, and let's just say you, you'll, you'll destroy one another. So it means to be consumed, to be fully put away. All right, that's operating in the flesh. This I say, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. There are cross purposes. All right? There's never a time when your flesh and the Spirit are going to be chasing the same thing. All right? They're opposites. All right? So if you are running hard, trying to do the things of the Spirit, trying to operate in love, you will be pulled away from the things of the flesh. Exact thing is true. If you're chasing after things of this world and pursuing the flesh, it, it's going to pull you away from walking in the Spirit. Okay? For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit's against the flesh, flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. All right? Before you were born again, you could operate in the flesh and you could enjoy it. Right? There may have been some consequences civilly or whatever, whatever, but the internal peace wasn't there. The Holy Spirit wasn't there convicting you and just taking all that fun times or what you thought was fun and turning it into ashes in your mouth. Right? So you can't do it anymore the same way, but you also can't operate fully in the Spirit yet. Right? You've still got an old sin nature that you've got to battle against. And that's what we're looking forward to. That hope of righteousness is when that sin nature goes away and we're left without it. Okay? Verse 18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. All right? You're not under the law. So if you are born again, you're not under operating under that, that, that law system. You're operating under the Spirit system. You've got this discernment. Is this glorifying to God? Does this please God? Does this bring Him glory and honor? Does it operate from love? Or is it an occasion to serve my flesh? And you can say, well, preacher, you know, Flesh and spirit, those are just kind of squishy words. What does that mean? Well, Paul gives some drill downs, all right? Some expansion on what that means, all right? Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. The works of the flesh are revealed. If you want to know what it means when you're chasing after flesh, here are some of the things. Which are these? Adultery, all right? Adultery is a violation of the marriage covenant, all right? Um, fornication. This is any form of sexual sin, all right? This is defiling your body. This includes um, lusting after people with your eyes. Right? This is the standard that Jesus... This, this comes from a heart issue. If you're looking after someone and you're lusting after them, that's the same as committing adultery or fornication with them in your heart. Okay? Adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness. This is kind of a broad term, but the, the concept, these first four are all uh, lumped into really a sexual category. Right? Now, all sexual activity is not wrong, right? and some folks will go off to that ditch. Um, we read over in Hebrews, the marriage bed is pure, undefiled. It's holy. Right? That's the way God designed it. That's good. That's perfect. Anything outside of that structure that he gave of your one man and your one woman together, that's good. That's holy. Anything outside of that is not. Right? That's your, your uncleanness, your impurity. Um, and that word uncleanness, it's really contrasted elsewhere in other scriptures with holiness and godliness. Right? Ever done something where you just kind of feel icky afterwards? Uncleanness. Right? Again, this is broad categories because you've got to use your discernment of in my life today, is this activity that I'm giving? Is it glorifying to God? Is it in chase of spirit? Or am I getting down into the muck and the mire with the flesh? All right? The, the meat, your body. Right? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. All right? This is that same um, definition for this is licentiousness. Um, again, big words. You don't use them. Um, but it's acting as though you're licensed to perform any manner of sin. All right? This is, you know, Romans dealt with that as well. If God did it all and it doesn't matter what I do, then I could just live any old way I want to. No. No. And if that's your attitude, you may not be born again yet. Right? And if somebody's teaching you that, then they're a liar. Okay? Lasciviousness. This is, you know, all sorts of unrestrained pursuits and desires. Right? There is a strong contrast with the spirit, which is self-control and temperance and restraint and the ability to rein in your natural passions and desires because if you let them run loose they will you'll run with them and into all sorts of trouble all right so those four all have a real connotation surrounded around um, sexual sin verse 20 gets into idolatry idolatry the word literally is image worship um, this is that could be worshiping yourself my reputation, what do people think about me, my fame, my whatever. It could be worshiping sports stars. It could be worshiping uh, your job. Anything that you worship instead of God. That's idolatry. Okay. Uh, witchcraft. Uh, this one's interesting. The Greek word here is uh, pharmakia. comes from, what's what we get our word, pharmacist. <laughs> The idea was back then they were trying to mix magic potions and alchemy, um, trying to tap into supernatural powers through um, potions or spells. All right, that's the idea that when you are trying to take something from God's domain and He hasn't freely given it, you're trying to do something that's that's unauthorized. And so I'm not saying don't take aspirin. There's a difference between this medication has this particular result on the body and you can see the A to B correlation. This is, I'm trying to take this over here and turn it into gold, right? This is, that's what alchemy was all about. It's trying to find a way to get what you want, some supernatural, magical experience, right? This is not something that glorifies God, right? This is you trying to take something and become God yourself, right? That's, that's the real problem with it. That's the pride and the vanity of that I can do this Without God. Did God bless people to do miracles? Yes. You know who got the credit for that? God. You know who wants the credit with this stuff? Themselves. Man. Right. Idolatry, witchcraft. All right. So 
How about, these are some harder ones. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Seditions. Heresies. Envyings. Those all kind of lump together. You've got pride and anger package, if you will. Hatred, what's that? That's hostility. All right, The enmity that you had between yourself when you're dead in trespasses and sin and God, it's the same word there, the hatred. If, you have, if you're operating in hatred, that's in the flesh. Right? Your hatred does not glorify God. All right? How about variance? A variance is a quarrel. Ever been quarrelsome? I like that word, right? Contentious, like to debate, pick fights, picking arguments. When you're operating in that, that is not pleasing to the Lord. All right? That's your flesh. More often than not, you want to prove that you're right or prove that somebody's wrong. And close to that will be your strife and your envy. How about emulation? That is a passion and jealousy. <laughs> That's not operating by love. The jealousy is that you've got something that I want, and it really burns me up. Wrath, fierceness. The idea is there's you're breathing hard. You ever been so... You ever had a good, calm conversation like this where you're really glorifying God and you're building up somebody? I sure haven't. I tend to say things I need not to say. And think things I need not to think, and tear people down. Right? This is you know get that idea of your I'm indignant. Right? Your righteous indignation doesn't glorify God. Right? That's you indulging in the flesh. Right? Strife. This uh, strong defines that as intrigues. Um, whether you're causing them, whether you're um, furthering them. You know, they're splitting groups into factions. You ever heard the concept divide and conquer? All right, that's, that goes back to the art of war. Well, if I can just divide this group here and here, and then I can have my way. Right. How's that happen when you operate in a church? They splits. They do divisions. Right? I want my way so much that I am, whatever the cost, I'm going to get it. Rather than operating for love of what is best for the body altogether. Strife, seditions. Oh, that's that literally means disunions. Church splits, divisions. Are we going to have an ice maker? Yes. Are we going to have an ice maker? No. Split. There, there, there's a church that did that. They're, they're, they're next door to each other. That's sad. Are they operating the spirit? Are they glorifying God? No. They're wrapped up in the flesh. And this, this applies, guys, not just in the context of church. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, I can do that. Well, how about in your marriages? How about in your families? How about with your neighbors? Right? This is a bigger picture. This is our whole life. Um, heresies. It literally means a choice. The Greek word is heresy, um, but it's to, to, to take for oneself, to choose you know, a party or a disunion. So you're, you're creating factions. Right. Envyings. This would be better translated as spite. Um, Pilate knew that the Pharisees turned over Jesus for envy. They turned him over for spite. Right. To be jealous, 
and to do things operating on spite. That's your envyings. Um, murders. All right. Is there any occasion where you can murder somebody and it be glorifying to God? No? Not if you understand what the definition of murder is. You think, well, of all this list, I'm probably safe on this one. No, brother, you're not. It says over in 1 John that any man who hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? Hating your brother without a cause, that is, that is the same as murder. Drunkenness. The word literally means intoxication. Modern day, you could put in the word stoned. Anytime you are trying to change your physical thought performance, the way you're feeling, trying to escape from reality by using whatever form, it's narcotics or alcohol or whatever, you're indulging in the flesh. This is not glorifying to God. There are people who try and say that, well, yeah, we have our religious experiences by using drugs. You know, the Indians who use peyote or those who are now selling mushroom experiences or LSD. Oh, you've got this mind-altering experience. Does God's word say that glorifies him? No. We're to be not drunk with wine, be filled with the spirit. Right? Revelings. Uh, great old school definition here. Carousal. All right. Um, a loose and noisy fe- feasting festival. Hard drinking bout. These are all from the 1806 Webster's Dictionary. Um, modern vernacular. Partying. All right. You're going out to have have the party and you know you're going to come home hurting. That's the idea. Is that all those activities, you know, these are are broad, broad category of the flesh. He said, here's your drill downs. Here are the things. If you're pursuing these things, you're not pursuing the things of the Spirit. And don't let anybody lie to you about it. Right? This doesn't glorify God. This doesn't bring Him honor. Okay? And then just in case you're curious about, well, I've got this other thing, and he didn't specifically mention it, you've got the catch-all, and such like. Paul wrote like a lawyer. (laughs) And any other thing that you can think of that sounds like all these other things, but I didn't specifically mention, yeah, that too. All right? He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, when I was there in past, I told you this, I'm telling you again now, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? That is not how heirs of a heavenly kingdom, that's not how they operate. It's not how they should operate. Read over in Corinthians, you'll see the same similar list. And when it gets to the bottom, it says, and such were some of you. That what you did before you were born again, yeah, it was wrong then too. But it's even worse now. Because it's like you're ignoring the sacrifice of Jesus and saying, well, it really doesn't matter. And it does. It's like you're crucifying him anew. Alright, so that's that's kind of your one big category. All these things. These are things of the flesh. Right? Jesus' work is complete. That's there's no doubt in that. How do we live? Well, these are a whole category of things that we often will slip into and we need to battle against. So what are the things that we are to be pursuing instead? The fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, these are things that you can pursue. You're operating, what are you operating primarily by? Love. Now, this is not Hollywood love. 
I love you so long as you're good to me. I love you because you make me feel. I love you because of me, 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 me. Right? That's, that's society's definition of love. Right? You go read over in Corinthians 11, 13, 13. Because I love you, I will be long-suffering. Because I love you, I will be patient. Because I love you, I will be kind. It is all a sacrificing of self for someone else. It is a self-sacrificial love. Is there a cost to us? Yeah, it's a labor of love. It's a toiling of love. Did Jesus give you a pattern of self-sacrificial love? Yeah, he laid down his very life for you. Were you worthy of that? Nope. And so can you make your love for your brothers and sisters in the church, for your spouse, for your children, can you make it conditional upon them being worthy? You can't. You love them anyway. Because that's what glorifies God. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Joy of the Lord. Am I doing things and am I encouraging others? And things that lead to the joy of the Lord. That's very different than what our, our, our typical... Our default is complaint, right? Discontentment, whining. Any of y'all had a weather conversation with somebody and it was just right, right? There's always something we'd really like the Lord to be doing different about the weather. And every other aspect of our life, we tend to have that too, right? How about... We point things both in our life and to ourselves and to those around us. Man, I've got something to be joyful for. You ever been around someone who consistently did that? What do you tend to walk away from? Feeling a little bit more joyful, a little bit more appreciative, or feeling a little mully grubby because you're so contentious, right? That can be a good rebuke for yourself just by them living it out. So you've got the works of the Spirit. You've got love. You've got joy. You've got peace. Wow, are you seeking peace and pursuing it? And suing it in your church, in your homes, in your workplace? Is that something you're actively doing? Are you a diffuser? And I'm not, I'm not saying put band-aids over issues and ignoring them. That's not real peace. But seeking to give of self and grow and teach and lead. This is hard work. These are labors of love, right? This is toiling. <laughs> but if you're operating by your primary motivation is love, then you're pursuing the right track. Are we going to do it perfectly? Not a chance. Small chance. But we still need to be doing it. All right? Pursuing peace. Being long-suffering. Sometimes my fuse is about that short. And when I'm doing that, am I operating in the spirit or am I indulging in the flesh? flesh, right? I'm allowing my inconveniences, my whatever, me, 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 to override, right? Whereas for Christ's sake and for the Holy Spirit that's within me, I can endure all things. I, I, that's, that's the idea of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means you can endure all things because He's promised He's never going to leave you or forsake you and there's nothing that your children or your spouse or, or whatever it is within the church, they can't do anything that plucks you out of the Lord's hands or makes Him any less true. And so we've been called for love and joy and peace and being long-suffering. That's a long word, isn't it? Patience is just kind of patience. Right? Long-suffering, <laughs> right? 
Kids, should I be more long-suffering with y'all? Yes, I should. (laughs) Gentleness. Gentleness. Meekness. Actually, this this is not meekness. This is usefulness. Strong definitions for for, uh, gentleness is usefulness. Or by my actions, am I being useful? Am I having moral excellence in my character that is useful both as an example and an encouragement to others? These are things to focus our time and energy on. And it's easy to know when we're not, right? Instead of pursuing peace, we've got our teeth gritted and our jaw locked and we're, we've got contention and strife and just eating us up. Or when we're not gentle, when we start doing things out of spite, well, I'm going to make it harder on you. Right? Goodness. This is virtue. Whether it's being generous or, or doing good. Love in action, right? This is not love in word. Oh, I love you. And that's as far as it goes. That's pretty thin blanket. Right? Faith. Living out your faith. What? If I believe these things to be true and I'm persuaded of these things to be true, they should be evidenced in how I govern myself, right? Y'all ever complain with things that you just really ought not be complaining about? On one hand, y'all say, yeah, I know the Lord. He's got it. He loves me. I know that Christ's work is secure. And yet over here, I am angry with God that He ain't doing it my way. Or something's gone wrong and I don't have an answer. Why? Maybe we need to trust Him more. Maybe reminded that we're not entitled to every answer. Twenty-three meekness. That's to be gentle and humble. Right. You want to operate in the flesh? You go ahead and get lifted up in pride. Pride says, "I know best." You just listen to me. I know best. Right. And we get stiff neck and bow-legged, right. as opposed to gentleness, meekness, humility. Right. Does pride, our pride, ever glorify God? No, because who's it lift up? Ourself. Right? But if I'm being humble and meek and I'm I'm as low as you can get and I'm still trying to faithfully serve the Lord and serve His people, what's the only reason I can give for doing that? <clears throat> because of what He's done for me. I know I'm not worth it. But He's called me to it and so I'm going to try and do it. Even if the results don't go the way I'd prefer. Temperance. All right? You ever heard the temperance movement? Back 100 years ago, prohibition, right? The idea is self-control. If you've ever used the expression, well, I just can't help it, or that's just the way I am, or that's just the way I was raised, or whatever, any other excuse you have for justifying why you're not controlling yourself, If you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
you have the ability to control yourself. Self-control, temperance, that's a fruit of the Spirit. All right? How many of all those other categories from the flesh were not controlling yourself? A lot of them. Probably almost all of them. As opposed to disciplining self. Is that something you got to learn and work out and practice? Amen. Yeah. That's why they talk about growing in grace. Y'all right? go plant an apple seed out in the yard. How soon before you're going to start getting apples? A long time, right? Seven, eight, nine years. Hopefully you water it and it don't die. Right? There's growth. Right? That's the idea behind our walk as Christians, that we're to grow. There's growing to do and growing to be done. And some of it, it's not just passage of time, but it's practice. Right? You've been enabled to do this by the Holy Spirit. Now go work at it. You know, we tried to build the lofts with the boys. I am, I am not a craftsman by any stretch. I can get it cut pretty much the right length, and I can get it screwed together so it's just about square, but it ain't pretty. But if I spent 10,000 hours, I would hope I'd get better at it. You think if we spend 10,000 hours on our temperance and self-control, we get better at it? I suspect we would. Listen to this last clause. You've got this list of the fruit of the Spirit, meekness and temperance. It says, against such, there is no law. It says, these are good things that you don't have to have the law that says you can't do them. You just do them. They glorify God. This is operating in faith. This is operating in the Spirit. This is, this is what Christ has done. These are how you live out what He's done for you. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Okay? If you're Christ's, part of that package is taking that old man and those old affections and those old lusts and nailing it to a cross and leaving it to die. He's not continuing to indulge in it, justify it, say it's okay. Is it a pleasant process to impale something to a cross? No. Particularly if that process includes part of you. This is the measure of deliberateness we have to have with our self-control and self-discipline. It's taking those old affections and lusts of the flesh nailing them to a cross and leaving them there to die. So daily, it talks about another passage about mortifying the members of your flesh, putting those things to death daily because you're going to battle with it daily. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means, okay, you've been made alive. You're a new creature, born again by the Holy Ghost. Internally, now start walking around like it. Let that creature guide and lead. Pursue that path, the spirit of righteousness. Verse 26 wraps up with saying, And let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. It's got a kind of cap on it. Those things that even when you start pursuing the flesh, sometimes we'll get lifted up with pride and we'll start beating others down because they're not doing what I'm doing yet. Instead of operating of love, of trying to bring people along and encourage and gently... Well, you're just not good enough. 
right? Well, you just must not be a Christian. Right? Just we get wrapped up, and we want to have folks see, oh, look how good I am, vain glory. That means worthless glory. The only glory that has any worth is God's glory, right? When we glorify Him, that's good. When we glorify ourselves, that's vain glory. It's worthless. It had no merit. All right. Provoking one another and envying one another. Picking at one another, envying one another, being jealous, spiteful, ill-used. That's the exact opposite of what's talking about over in uh, Hebrews. It talks about not forsaking the assembly together, but provoking one another unto love and good works. Okay? So, congratulations. You are not operating under the law. You have been set free by Christ but you now have been given the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you as you discern what path will glorify God the most. And you've got some characteristics here that you can look at. Is this pursuing things of the Spirit? Is that love, joy, peace, gentleness? Is that what I'm doing? Is that what I'm encouraging in others? Or is it the other path? And y'all, we got to be honest with ourselves and, and examining ourselves. Because guess what? Who's got it all figured out in this room? Me neither. Right? And so is there areas that we can grow? You better believe it. If you think you've gotten the spot, well, John says, if you think you've got a spot where you don't sin, guess what? you a liar. And you're calling God a liar. <clears throat> So there is always room to grow because we are waiting for the hope of perfect righteousness. And that's secured by Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory. But while we're here, heir of the king, heir to a kingdom, who says, if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples. We need to look at his word. And we need to Continue in it, operate in it, walk in it. Head knowledge doesn't do you any good if you're not trying to live it out. And if you're trying to share it with anybody else and your motivation is not love, odds are you're in the flesh. You can be doing what is the right thing with the wrong motivation and be doing wrong. Okay? This is this is high bar stuff. This comes into the heart, right? What is your motivation? And it needs to be operating from love and gratitude for what Christ has done and trying to live that out. Thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing?